Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the MTG Goldfish Podcast. The crew is here with you. Um, I'm a little under the weather today, so I'm not going to get the, the usual uh, energetic self. But uh, episode 56, the crew is here with you. Myself, Chaz. Richard, how's it going? Hey, everyone. What's going on? Seth, what's up? What's up, guys? All right. So on the docket today, we are going to be talking about Eternal Masters. Um, we got... We got the official announcement, so we're going to talk about that. Uh, we were privy to a couple cards in Wasteland and Force of Will, uh, and then we're going to discuss some j- just legacy, the reserve list implications, just everything uh, having to do with that. Um, a group of people uh, on the social airwaves talking about maybe backing or starting a, a format similar to EDH, Tiny Leaders, what have you, about a no reserve list legacy. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, Shadows over Innistrad, official cards that were given to us via the dual deck, Blessed vs. Cursed, and we are going to address a bevy of fish mails. So let's just get right into it. Um, Richard, we got the Eternal Masters um, official announcement. So as our you know, resident legacy uh, aficionado, uh, how do you feel about this announcement? What does this do for legacy? And I guess we're going to go into, you know, talk about just legacy in general and all the implications that come with this. Yeah, so oddly enough, I am not excited at all about this. Um, I, I'm excited to see other people <laughs> excited, but personally... I don't really care. Uh, people think that it's going to be cheaper to play Legacy, and I suspect it'll actually be more expensive after Eternal Masters. And at the same time, I don't really want Wizards meddling in, you know, air quotes, my format, right? Like, I, I just kind of wanted them to leave Legacy alone, but now it's, you know, they have their hand in the jar. Is it going to become another, you know, modern, like, um, situation where Wizards are just kind of meddling around and screwing things up? So... I'm not that excited. I, I don't know why. Just these, these things don't resonate with me. I'm not sure how you guys feel about this. Go ahead, Seth. Uh, well, I'm excited about it. I am not excited about it because of what it will do for Legacy, because I don't think it will do that much. But I'm really excited about it because one thing people have asked about for a long time is a a draftable cube-type format. And Wizards has made some sets that were like, heading that direction like conspiracy and uh, experimenting with different draft formats but i think if this is done right this will be pretty comparable to like a non-phantom cube draft format this will have some of the best archetypes and coolest cards over the whole history of magic and hopefully we'll feel a little bit like jumping on to magic online and playing one of the cubes so that's what i'm excited about i'm also happy for cube builders and edh or commander players who will likely be getting some sweet new cards but as far as <sighs> legacy itself I think this is somewhere between irrelevant and a bad thing for the format as far as prices are concerned. Yeah, I'm uh, I have a similar feeling to what you said, Seth. I'm I'm excited that they that they're doing it. I applaud Wizards for doing it. Uh <laughs> regardless of what people may think of my statements on uh social media outlets, but I I am, you know, glad that they went ahead and did this. I I was just merely stating that uh you know, I was trying to give Wizards of the Credit a little more or, or a little more credit than other people may give them, and I think it would be a good opportunity to maybe introduce a new format. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, I, I just I think it's great. I just have to think that they 
they they should know what it's going to uh, do to reserve list cards and the implications of that because I mean at this point. Um, like Richard said, I mean, it, you can't really get excited when you have a master set for Eternal, but then, you know, you turn around. So so some of the cards decrease for, for some period of time or, or for good. Uh, it's a little different than modern where, you know, there's all this demand and it it's just a different time for Legacy. It's just not like how it used to be. Um, so, yeah, some cards might go down. They met, They might not ever go back to the original prices. But then people turn around and say, oh, you know, people want to get into Legacy and then turn around and now we're looking at a, a new landscape of $500 tropical islands or something like that or, you know, $1,200 to $1,500 tabernacles or something like that. And I just have this feeling that, you know, if they're going to be alternating Eternal Masters and Modern Masters every other year and every time an Eternal Masters comes out, they're just adding another tax to reserve list cards and it's basically going to be net zero. And, you know, I, I'd like to think at some point that Wizards of the Coast is a, you know, I know they're a competent company. I know that they're smart. And I, I thought that maybe at some point, you know, not, you know, within the next year or something like that, but uh, that they would capitalize on uh, maybe announcing a a format and letting Legacy go to the wayside like Vintage. I mean, it's just you're never going to be able to promote a format that's always going to be strangled by the reserve list. I mean, you just can't. I know we're probably going to get a ton of hate mail for this, but, I mean, it's just, I, you know, Legacy is always going to be a great format, and, I mean, Vintage is always going to have their uh, following, but you can't deny the fact that the reserve list bars a good amount of people from entering the format, considering every deck plays dual lands. So and, I, I think... Uh, yeah. Seth's point was co- coincides with what Wizards expects to happen, which is this is a way to print old cards that are not used, uh, you know, in, in modern and in standard. Uh, but their intent was not to prop up legacy. So what this helps is, you know, the commander player who wants a divining top that doesn't want to pay, I don't know what the current price is, some ridiculous number, or, you know, you want a Sylvan library, or you want a Stoneforge mystic, right? These are, you know, just random cards that are insanely expensive for some reason, right? Like a curse catcher, right? Go over the burn willows, right? So this will definitely bring the price of those cards down. But cards like Force of Will, uh, you know, other legacy staples you need, like dual lands, um, you know, tabernacle, stuff like that, it will it will remain expensive and probably get even more expensive. So the barrier into legacy hasn't changed. It might actually become more expensive. Uh, but for the all the casual players or people that need one-off cards for their cube or the commander decks or whatever, uh, this is a great product for them. And I think that's where Wizards is heading. They're not trying to support legacy, uh, and they're just trying to print old cards for people to play with. Uh, I mean, then then that's great for them. Uh, but uh, you know, I, I'm just I, I just you know I I don't play any of those, and, and I have to say then you know we're foregoing another year for cube and 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 legacy or EDH. Then well, foregoing okay. a year on what though? Do you do you expect wizards to revive the legacy format at some point? No, no, I, I agree with what you're saying. It's just I. You know, we we have it, it would just seem to me that there's like more pressing matters, and you have a format that they're trying to promote, and then we we go another year without a modern masters to prop up cube and EDH. Then okay, I mean that and if that's what people want, then all right, I'm, I I can accept uh, that. So you'd rather have modern masters 2016 instead Absolutely. of eternal masters, gotcha. Absolutely, well, absolutely. 
Remember, too, that so far since they've started doing Modern Masters, they've been going back and forth doing a Modern Masters, which is a more competitive release, and then a more casual-focused summer release the next year and alternating. So it could just be that this is that we're thinking about this wrong because it has Masters in the name, and that this is more of a conspiracy-type release for that crowd that wants weird cards for their cube and casual decks than it is a Modern Masters set that's supposed to really help uh, competitive players. So, well, And then we'd be back to Modern Masters next year. Maybe I'm getting the wrong ideas because they're $10 a pack. Yeah, how much is a conspiracy pack? Is it normally like price? The, name, the, normal, the normal MSRP. I mean, you could get boxes right now for, like, Still like ninety bucks, something like that. So I, maybe that's why I'm getting a disconnect here. If if that's where really where they were going, then they would have they should have printed conspiracy two or something like that, and not a master set because I, we are getting uh, mixed signals because the packs are ten dollars. So I don't know really how much that helps uh, Cube and EDH people. But like I said, I mean, if if this is what it's for and this is what people want and that that excites people, then that's fine. I mean. To me, yeah, I, I to what you said, uh, Richard, I, I would have rathered a, a Modern Masters 2016 because to me that that would have been more uh, just a better announcement and 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 a more uh, needed announcement than something like this. So here's a question I've been waiting all week to ask you guys, and Seth already knows it because I said I'd ask him. Force of Will at Mythic. What do you guys think? It, it was a rare in uh, the online release, the Vintage Masters. Uh, but now it's a mythic. It's a card that two for ones yourself. <laughs> so I don't know about this limited argument. What do you guys I, think? It's a cash grab. It is a hundred percent a way to to sell packs and make money. Just like I, having Tarmogoyf at Mythic. Tarmogoyf isn't good in limited. Not not like a bomb. It's like somewhat playable, but it's the same reason that's a mythic. I mean it's it's yeah. a price thing. I, I was surprised to see it at Mythic, I will say that. Very surprised. So the the flip side is Wasteland is a rare, so I guess that's good. I mean, you're right? you're but, you're looking at like twenty dollar Wastelands here soon, or something like that. I mean, there's like this is like what printing number six or something like that. So yeah, but all the other printings are irrelevant. That's, yeah, I guess they were all it, like random judge promos or something. Well, it was well, really an attempt to supply that's yeah really like, well. I mean, at at the same time, then well, all of them at some point affected the price because Wasteland's been going down steadily now. Uh, I actually haven't looked at the price history. Wasteland used to be like a $100 card or something, I think it was. Yeah, I mean, it's been dr- decreasing. I mean, it's just Wasteland not as good in Legacy anymore, Richard? I, I'd, have, I'd have to think it's just as good as it always has been. Uh, you always need Wasteland in Legacy. And All right. So Calvary has always been a thing. Uh, there there was a point in time where you might not have played it, like, uh, hmm. but it's... And yeah, I'd have to think. I mean, after enough like Judge or whatever promos, I mean, uh, it went down for some reason. What, what, uh, what if that reason was, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> People having access to printed <laughs> Yeah. Uh, that wouldn't happen. No, not in Magic. Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, that, that seems more plausible. <laughs> I'm really interested to see what the, the set actually looks like and how the rarities yes. break down. Like, I think that is going to, well, obviously, determine a lot about the set, like, and, and what the audience is for and what it's geared for. So if this is just a yeah. list of all the most played legacy cards that aren't on the it's, reserve it's, list... It's not. Then you say that with confidence, Chaz. 
No, because I mean they said. Well, I say it with confidence because it's isn't it? They I mean their their statement was that it's for Cube, uh, EDH, or what have you. So I'd have to think there's going to be some stuff mixed in there, just like every other master set. There's no, going to be get, a comet storm in here. Yeah, you I mean, get your Tarmogoyfs and you get your trying your to figure out which one it is, but they're they're not going to put all playable mythics, right? Like, you get your Lin Civi Defiant Rebel. <laughs> Oh, that was that. Oh, that cracked me up. I, I tweeted that, and I don't think anyone got it. They were like, "Oh, that it. was a good card back in the day." I was like, I, I "No, it. it's not Lin Civi Defiant Rebel." Like that's <laughs> <I got it. laughs> Yeah. Um. But so I don't know. It, and I think it comes down to the rarities, though. Like, is yeah. Lin Civi going to be a rare, or is it going to take up a it's, mythic slot? Like, it, assuming it's even in the set, we don't know. I, I think this would be a good. No, yeah, you're right. So I think it comes down to rarities and. What would be good for this set overall, regardless of the $10 pack or who this is for, all these, you know, Cube and EDH people, uh, is that this would be the set to make, like, an Aether Vial or something like that uh, uncommon. You know, this th- that would be a win for this set, you know, to, to make cards like that uncommon or, you know, uh, make, like, doubling season rare again or something like that. Um, and that's, the problem is yeah. you can't make Aether Vial uncommon because it, like, screws up limited, like... You, you can't have these, like, random cards that do nothing in limited, right? So, like, that's why I don't like them always trying to make a playable limited format with these. Like, it really restricts yeah. what they can do. You can't, you know, like, you could put Wastelanded Uncommon or something, theoretically. That would, like, totally screw up limited, right? So, like, that really, I don't know. That just adds another constraint for them. And, like... Fair enough. With Forcible at Mythic, like, I, I don't know how they approach this anymore, right? Like, who wants <laughs> Forcible as their Mythic? Like, unlimited, right? Like, I, well, then, I, I wouldn't want to pick that card, right? So, Chaz, you mentioned, like, wanting a Modern Masters in this slot. There could be some good Modern goodies in there. Like, I think yeah. Aaron confirmed that yes. there will be Modern Legal cards. So we'll have to see. Like, it could be that they're printing Horizon Canopies and Groves and, like, some really expensive Modern cards, which also are playable in Legacy and Cube and whatever else. Right. Uh, yeah. So so maybe we will get some of those modern goodies to relieve some of the price pressure that's always uh, growing consistently in modern. Right, because, uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. There is there is some overlap. So, yeah. I mean, maybe we get Inquisition of Kozilek. No time. way. No way. <laughs> they they don't want to you know, waste <laughs> their reprint equity, right? Like, there are plenty of old, crappy cards that you can find in Legacy to kind of fill in those limited voids. Like, you, you basically need the fodder to make a limited format, and I doubt they would go to modern staples to get that, because they could just print them next year and make more money, right? So. Well, then I'm going to be very disappointed. <laughs> I, I, I think this will be mostly cube... You know, like, for example, uh, they might... If, if this set is... Or if this or set something is like, limited, they might throw in a couple of modern... If, if this set is, like... But it's going to be mostly Legacy. Like, Force of Will at Mythic, you know, some random cube cards, and then, like, a bevy of Uncommon and Commons, like, from Brainstorm all the way to all these, like, random something and Vec, like, Paladin stuff, like, from, like, <laughs> like Shadow and all that, oh, all that stuff, like, okay. then it's just gonna be terrible. I'm sorry. Like, I can't get excited for that. What, one thing that could be exciting, though, is getting cards in foil for the first time. I know yeah. that really appeals to EDH or Commander players and Cubers, so, so that is a big appeal of the set, and I think that might sell the set even more or like as much as staples like being able to get some of those foils will probably be really expensive if it's a card that's never been foiled before what's a foil card that's like a staple that cannot Uh, force of will 
No, you can get the Judge promo. Yeah, but that's not like a, a, a very accessible foil to you a lot of people. This, you think this Marshall Mill promo is going to be anywhere near accessible? Well, more accessible than a Judge promo, I'd have to at least I don't I'd, know. I'd have to How much was foil Goyce I forgot all about Goyce Gate. How much was the foil oh, Goyce? I, I don't know, like... Three fifty, four, four, four fifty. Okay, I think a foil of force of will is five hundred right now. Like that. Check here. Not only do you get eight hundred. Oh, oh, wait. The judge. Judge promo force of will is eight hundred. Yeah. So I, you know, it's going to be ridiculously expensive. Like the price isn't going to drop eight hundred. And you not only do you get regular uh, English foil force of wills, you are now have access to Japanese foil force of wills. So that is going to be. yeah, and as far as the foil thing, I think it was Urza's block, right, where they first started foiling. Uh, yes. So it was like, it, or part way like, through it. Part way through it. Yes. I so, know there's one set that doesn't have it, or something like that. Yeah. So anything before Urza's block that is not on the reserve list and hasn't been in some random, I don't know, judge promo yeah, where you get like a vault. right. You get like foil Caracas, like a, a more accessible foil Caracas and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. That's true. So I'm sure there's some interesting foils that could pop up, uh, depending on how, how the set plays out. So we'll yeah. we'll see. I'm expecting it to be somewhat like Vintage Masters online. Obviously, yes. not with the power, of you course. Get, you get your foil, uh, oh, what's that red card that we used to joke about? Oh, man. Vintage Masters, you know it. Uh, uh, is it Stark of Wrath? Yes. There you, go. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Now you get your foil Stark of Wrath, people. There you go. Oh, but, Masters. But that set, like, had some good things in it. No, it but did. It also had a lot of stuff that was obviously there for drafting that no one really cared about. So I expect that this will play out somewhat similarly, just without power and without dual lands, which is a huge problem. Like, that's why none of this matters is because... You can't really play Legacy without dual lands, regardless of what anyone says. So no, I, even if you can buy Force of Will for free, you're still going to have to put out two grand to build the to get the dual lands and fetches you need to make your Legacy deck. So who cares if you can if Force of Will was twenty five cents? Legacy's still going to be expensive. Yeah, you still. So, can't so play here's lands. the plan: you open a foil Force of Will, <laughs> and you trade it for a normal Force of Will and a dual land, and you just do that enough times, and your box of Eternal Masters will convert it to a legacy deck. You, you make it sounds, sound so simple. Sounds great. Well, the, gotta, the, like, the, other, the other of, disconcerting of thing is that... Uh, the, the other disconcerting thing is that they're doing this, like, you know, we don't want to make too much of this again, you know? So, yeah, from what I've heard, it's, it's, it's less uh, supply than Modern Masters 2015, but a little more than the first Modern Masters. So, I mean, really, I, I don't... It, like I said, I, I'm excited. It's cool, but I was really more excited to have the the thought that maybe this is them, uh, you know, entering that, you know, taking that next step and maybe pushing a new format or something like that. I thought this was them opening the door to open opening the the door to something like that. Well, let's, let's talk not. about what we think will happen to Legacy, and then we can talk about you know, originally people were thinking, oh, Eternal will be a new format, and then Aaron Forsythe kind of. Stop that yes. rumor. But then we can talk about this no, uh, this kind of modern plus or new no yeah. reserve list legacy thing as well. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, initially everyone thought, hey, stuff on the reserve list is going to go crazy. 
And yeah, the next day stuff went crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so what, how do you guys think the legacy format will shake out? Do you think more people will play legacy? Do you think it'll get more expensive, cheaper? Do you think it's just going to die anyway? What do you think is going to happen? I, I think it's going to be still status quo, like zero sum. Maybe some people end up playing legacy now, but like, like, like Seth said, I mean, you're, now you're still shelling out for duels and they're not getting any cheaper. In fact, they're more expensive. And like you like you posted, Richard, on Twitter, they're they're already more expensive the next day. So, so so there are decks you can play without reserveless cards. I, I believe yeah. the three legitimate decks you can actually play are uh, Death and Taxes, the most legitimate of them all. Um, well, requires but, zero reserveless cards, okay. and a lot of random expensive cards that shouldn't be that expensive, like the old Hate Bears, Stone Forge, things like that. Rashad and Poor, Wasteland, if those are reprinted. Uh, will drive the price down. Uh, yep. You have Merfolk, uh, also a mono blue deck. Force of Will is being reprinted. Wasteland, although they don't play Wasteland anymore. Um, and you have Burn, right? The good old Price of Progress, Fire Blast, you, you don't need yep. anything. So those are the three decks you can actually build. Uh, those should probably get cheaper. Uh, the one thing that might actually hurt is Aether Vial is going to go through the roof if people actually play, this car, play these decks. Uh, but, you know, play something like Storm, you're screwed. LED is already up like 8 million percent since the announcement. Uh, it's really expensive now. Uh, blue duels have been going up. Uh, it, it's hard to play any blue deck with Shocklands because of Daze. Like, Daze lets you counter spell, put your land down, and you're cool. Now, if you have to Shock, counter Shock, that's four life. You're just easy pickings for a burn deck. Yeah. It's a, it's a lot harder for those decks to play Shocklands. Although, Miracles might be able to somehow do this. Um, but you you are still giving up a percentage. So there there are some decks you can play that don't lose anything uh, without playing reserveless cards. But the vast majority of the format still needs reserveless cards. So I I don't know how this will play out. Like I always I I talked about this with you guys earlier. There's always this like weird support for Legacy online and in forums, and people get outraged. But I never see anyone at Legacy. <laughs> you know I I don't play right. anymore because I can't find people to play Legacy with. <laughs> right like the Maybe the Legacy Leagues online will help that, but like the Legacy Dailies were pretty much dead. Um, so I, I don't know where all these closet Legacy supporters are, but maybe this is the push they need to come out, and then everyone can play. Oh, Dredge is another card. Or Dredge is another deck. I think doesn't have reserve list cards. Manalus, at least. Uh, but maybe all these players can come out of the woodworks, and uh, <sighs> Legacy will be revived temporarily. Um with the release of Eternal Masters. They always seem to be on the forefront whenever something like you bring something up about the the format, but then they somehow disappear when you go and actually play Legacy. So, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, and what is good is that the the, the conversation is there, and I, I think Wizards... I mean, we had that article uh, on the Mothership site by Quinn, and... Um, about making your own format, and I think that's, like, pretty good timing to all the tweets that Marrow said, or, or uh, Aaron said, this this article, and them kind of saying, like, well, it's not on the table for us, but if you guys want to do it, uh, we can support it, like, EDH, or, you know, or Commander, or whatever you want. Um, so, maybe it is up to us to do it, and I know there's a lot of chatter about it. I think some people should get together uh, and, and really take the reins and some influential people, uh, whether it just be community people or, you know, a pro or something like that, and, and really start 
writing some literature, you know, posting videos and deck lists of just decks and action about deck building with this new format and really take the reins on a no reserveless legacy that is now a a pretty popular dialogue uh, that is now starting to grow based off Eternal Masters. So. But, but here's the question, right? If it's an unsanctioned format, right. you can't play it on Magic Online. No. Right, you're not gonna watch the pro tour. You're not gonna play it at a GP. You're not gonna play it at a PPTQ, RPTQ, whatever. Why don't you just play Legacy with proxies? Well, they don't they don't sanction that either, do they? Yeah, but again, right? But you might as well play <laughs> an actual format in an unsanctioned that's way true. rather than just play an unsanctioned format. Like that's just new and weird, right? Like yeah, you know, for a fun thing, I can see that happening, but I can't see like an entire community sprouting up for this right like well i mean even if it's for a time and you know maybe now that enough people are willing to do it and look at it and you know it to me it there's no hurt in trying and if people realize that it is just worse than legacy or people would just rather play legacy with um uh proxies like you said richard then yeah by all means but i, I think it's worth at least trying and talking and, about it at least a little bit and we have seen cases where the community has supported a format without Wizards, and eventually Wizards has picked up the reins. Like, Commander slash EDH. Even Modern was pushed as, like, overextended by Gavin Verte primarily for, like, several years before Wizards... Enough people were talking about it, posting deck lists, playing it in unsanctioned ways, and then Wizards finally created Modern. Maybe it would have happened anyway, but there is some precedent to the community uh, doing it on their own, and then Wizards deciding, wow, we can make a lot of money off this, maybe we should get in on the action. Yeah, which I I think they are sitting back waiting to see that already. I mean, I think they know that they can can definitely back a horse like that. And... To be fair, the tweet that Aaron Forsyth sent out, it didn't say there is not going to be another format. It said that Eternal isn't going to be a format. And then he put this weird, like, X-Files hashtag, like the truth is already out there or something. (laughs) He made it this, like, cryptic uh, thing. So there is also some chance that he's doing, like, a Marrow-type troll. And six months from now, they're like, hey, we have this new format. It's not called Eternal, but... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you could take, I mean, there was also another thing on Marrow's blog that says, you know, that asked him, I think this was back in um, November or something like that, that asked, like, if, when, a new format, and, and, you know, at that point it was when. And maybe you're right, Aaron is trolling, or, I mean, it could be taken both ways. It could be taken as, there is a new format, it's literally not called Eternal. (laughs) Or it could be, you know, you look into that weird X-Files thing, and maybe he's just trolling because he likes X-Files, or... Or maybe, you know, the solution's already out there and it's modern. And But my thing was is that if it is modern, then that's kind of disheartening because either way, you know, you're leaving 10 years of magic on the table. And that just doesn't seem good to me. I don't know. And that's the thing. Uh, Richard asked this earlier. Legacy is still dying. Like, there, yeah. there, it, it is... And people are going to get mad and people are going to yell at me, but I'm not talking about the format. People love pointing out, oh, we have tournaments. Oh, daily events are growing again on Magic Online. That's not what it's about. It's simply a numbers game. I just looked it up again. There are, in the entire history of Magic, they printed 77,952 play sets of dual lands. And there are apparently, according to Wizards, 20 million Magic players. So... (laughs) Even if people wanted to play Legacy, only 77,000 of that 20 million 
could potentially play the format, and that's not taking into account people that own 100 copies, Star City Games and Big Dealers, that who knows how many copies of Dual Lands they own, who knows how many have been destroyed over the past 25 years, like they're pieces of cardboard, they do get destroyed, I have seen some pretty beat up Dual Lands, so that number's the high end, this is the most that were ever in circulation, so it's just a numbers game, you can't yeah. have Legacy be like Standard, because we don't, literally don't have enough cards for people to play the format like they do Standard. You can't. There is a hard cap on how much Legacy can grow yep. as a format. Yep. There's always going to be a hard cap. Until Wizards somehow decides to get rid of the reserve list. And that's another important thing from this set, is if they were considering getting rid of the reserve list, this would be a perfect place to make that announcement. We're doing Eternal Masters. Like, it's such a natural fit. So I would say that removing the reserve list, everyone already thought it was basically off the table, but Wizards reconfirmed that they're not really interested in getting rid of the reserve list at this point. Yeah, it was just on Marrow's uh, timeline, and he said, the reserve list is something we have to deal with. So my, and this is really where I came in with the the, uh, dialogue in the first place about a no reserve list Masters, because if they... If this is this is not only a good opportunity, I mean, like you said, Seth, to re- remove the reserve list, but we know that's not on the table. This is a good opportunity to entertain the idea, or let the community react, or maybe you're you're right, Seth. In six months, they they do announce it anyway that there's a new format uh, because they can't do anything to the reserve list. So without a with a reserve no reserve list uh, legacy, we'll call it Eternal or whatever. With Eternal. You can you can have it both ways. You can win both ways. You can keep the promise to the players, never touch the reserve list, and and have a format where people don't need to worry about reserve list cards. And you can ha- go back to a basically a real three <clears throat> a real three you know trinity of formats where you have eternal, you have modern, and you have standard, and you can regulate eternal just like you do modern. You don't have to worry about the reserve list always putting that hard cap on you know this new format or how many people can ever play the format and you just have to don't worry about it regardless just strangle holding the format and you let legacy go to the wayside like vintage i mean that's basically what they're doing now i mean i I know people are going to get upset but that's basically what they're doing now i mean that's that's where legacy is going already so you know if if the reserved list is something they have to deal with or that's something we have to deal with they can keep their promise to us and still make a new uh, format because their promise really only ever indicated that these are cards that there are never going to reprint it, be reprinted, whether just reprinted or functional reprint ever. That doesn't mean that it has to be relevant in any you know. It what? doesn't mean it has to be relevant. They, they didn't just say, they didn't say these cards will never lose value or these yeah, cards will always right. be playable. They just right. said we're not going to reprint them. Right. So they can keep that. Pro- that's all. That's the promise they made, and that's they will be keeping that promise. That doesn't mean that all right, we're going to base a whole format around it and all these cards are going to be relevant. So that's my whole thing. And then you don't ever have to get rid of Legacy. Legacy can just exist as it is now, just like Vintage, and, you know, it could just keep going. I don't know. That was my whole thing. I don't know. I, I, I just don't see... There, there's, like, no point for Wizards to keep Legacy around. Like, they already have their two formats, yeah. rotating and non-rotating, in Modern and Standard. And... Like, they, they don't want the hassle of dealing with all this old stuff. It's like they acknowledge the past, right? Force of Will, awesome card, you know, Mox, great, Black Lotus, cool. But they just acknowledge them and once in a while throw it a bone to all the old timers. But they don't want to keep dealing with this stuff, right? Yeah. They don't want to deal with all this broken stuff. They don't want to deal with cards worth thousands of dollars. So I, I don't see them propping up 
this format, right? Like modern is their attempt at fixing legacy, and right. it kind of works. But it's not an eternal <laughs> format. <laughs> but it's like if you made a new format, like you have to actually showcase it. You have to make a pro tool yeah. for it. You have but to the... make it at GPs, and you actually have to support it, right? Yeah. And there's I mean, just not I don't room know. for that. Like it's yeah. just not profitable for them, right? Maybe it, I mean at one point they had standard, extended, and legacy. I mean, they could go back to standard, modern, eternal. And again, just using eternal as the, the fill-in, whatever this format would be called. I mean, I don't know. It's just a shame. Like, I guess, Richard, you're right in a sense that, you know, they just throw people a bone here and now, you know, now and then for the old timers. But, I mean, you're still leaving 10 years of development and sets on the table. And that's not even discounting all the stuff, like, on the reserve list or all these expensive legacy stuff. Like, what about those random cards in, like, The Dark or, uh, you know, Mirage and Tempest and all these Urza's uh, cards where, you know, there's still plenty of cards that are not on the reserve list and, and that were, you know, developed and they're good cards and they're fun cards. Well, they can I don't know. You're them, just, like, right? throwing that away. If, if they were truly that great, then you could just reprint them in, like... Shadows over Innistrad, right? Or functional. I yeah, I guess. But there's a lot of like weird stuff that they kind of want to bury from the past, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, I guess. You know, like anti-cards, dexterity yeah. cards, uh, cards with questionable depictions of women, right? There's a lot right. of weird okay. stuff, right? The cartoony look as well, which they've gone away from. So that, that's why I think Wizards is just kind of like, you know. You just, feel just, like just they're, yeah. Let it be, right? Just let you it be. You feel like they're content with like the status quo. Yeah, I, I think they, they want to distance themselves from the past. Like, the past doesn't make them money, right? Like, yes, yeah. people that have been playing since 1995 will enjoy it. But as a new player, mm-hmm. do you want to read Chain of Metastophicles and try to figure out what it does, right? I, I literally do not yeah. know what it does to this uh. day, <laughs> right? Like, there, there's, like, some really weird stuff going on, right? Or um, yeah. There are those, those, like, cards that have, like, a whole text box worth of thing that could have been said in, like, one line. These like, days. do you want to play Humility? Like, do you yes. want to attempt to explain to people what Humility does? Because no one knows. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, we, we see pros on camera getting screwed by Humility all the time, right? Like, this is what Legacy brings to you, and it's fun for, you know, a, a section of the demographics, right? But... You know, for the new player, for, you know, the majority of the casual players, this is just confusing and weird, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I guess, uh, you know, we can, we can remain hopeful, but I, I don't think it'll be something that's going to be announced anytime soon. Or maybe it will. Who knows? Well, what do you guys think of the lack of Triple GP weekend with this set? What does that mean? Well... Why is there no, like, super high biggest... Because it's not... It, it's, it's, it shouldn't be, right? I mean, it's, it's not, like, modern masters, right? I don't know. Right, because I, they don't want to celebrate these old formats, right? Well, maybe not that. It's just because it's not a... It's not, um, may, I, I don't think it's that. I think it's just it's not the same. Like, modern is just different. It's more popular. Shouldn't yeah, I guess you are exciting? right. Like, this is like Force of right. Will. This is Wasteland. These are the most powerful cards ever printed, right? Shouldn't but, it be more well, Legacy is just not popular anymore. Yeah, it's just Legacy is so not So, yeah, popular. it goes you back know, to what you said. I guess they just don't want to celebrate it. This is them throwing people a bone. A pretty expensive bone, but, you know. I, I kind of wanted to go to Vegas and play, you know, just try to open a foil for the will. I mean, the reason they promoted Modern Masters so much is because subsequently they want people to play Modern. Yeah. Right? If they do a triple GP weekend for Legacy Masters... Okay, hey, you know, we're promoting, what, Legacy? Like, all right, open up all your Force of Wills, but don't worry about those $500, you know, tropical islands when you go to buy them. Don't worry about those. Don't worry about those, you know, 
newly twelve hundred dollar tabernacles. You know, don't. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of five hundred dollar no? cards, what do you think this does to counterfeits? Now you have this surge of new players looking for <laughs> dual lands. Uh, uh, maybe players that haven't played that long, maybe they don't know what old cards look like. Yeah. You know, this, they're not aware of all the issues that come with... Uh, certainly doesn't help, I'll say that. Cardboard. Yeah, certainly doesn't help. Wizards is going to have to deal with that sooner or later. Mm. They, I mean... Well, now you just give them more of an incentive to make... Well, yeah, if if a dual land is $500, way more people people who would buy a normal copy for uh, $200 will start right. considering buying a counterfeit just because of that extra $300. Like, I already right. see t- half of Reddit, like, not that that's a great example, but half of Reddit supports counterfeits because they don't want to pay that amount of money for cards. And I can, like, obviously I don't agree with them. I can get that, uh, like, understand their feelings as a regular player, like, I want to be able to play these, and right. if someone's going to offer me a set of all the dual lands for twenty bucks instead of two thousand dollars, like I would consider that. Right. Yeah. Like you'd have to be naive not to. Obviously, we don't condone counterfeits in any way, so we're not going to sympathize. But I mean, you're absolutely right, Seth. I mean, you you can empathize for people saying like, well, you know, they turn around and dual lands are now astronomical. It's like but the, it makes it even more lucrative. Yeah. The the problem is just going to get worse because of that. Right. And I. I wish Wizards would do some sort of exchange program. Like, they can't reprint the cards, obviously. They've made that clear. But if you have an Underground C, you mail it to Wizards. We will send you this new Underground C that has the hologram on it and whatever security measures are necessary to get the old cards, which are so easy to counterfeit, apparently. They're right. pretty close to making uh, realistic counterfeits of them and uh, change those into the new border with some of the security features. Uh, exchange program, buy a counterfeit, exchange it, get a new one. <laughs> well, actually, yeah, I didn't think it, think of it that way. Well, I mean, theoretically, wizards would actually <laughs> I would hope. check the cards. I would they hope. In. They, would they hope have to rip test them right there. <laughs> Whatever, we're replacing them anyway. Oh my god, you ripped my actual duel. <laughs> I, I told you guys just on cast before, whenever I play legacy events, I always see a non-trivial number of suspicious <laughs> cards, okay? I, I don't, like, bust out my loop and take a look at this. I'm just like, whatever, right? This doesn't look correct, but oh, it's okay. <laughs> and I, I just... Well, like, oh, it, went back to that, it went back to that conversation. It's like... I, and really, remember, like, we, it, we... I think we talked about that. It's like the number, right? Like, how many can you get away with? <laughs> well, that, yeah, that was at the... That was at yeah. the GP. Yeah, and now, uh, hey, maybe if we only had one counterfeit, you might not have I mean, it caught. takes a lot of, it takes a lot of uh, <laughs> something to do that at a GP, <laughs> but like right. at F&M or something, like, what's the worst that's going to happen, right? Like, right. But, I don't know, people, some people just want to play, right? And, you know, getting priced right. out of the format, and some people will take any means necessary, uh, you know, to, to play. Yeah. Yep. All right, um... Let's move along because uh, we still have some. We have a lot of fish mail to address. So, we talked about Eternal Masters, all the implications, uh, no reserveless legacy. We got a couple of Shadows over Innistrad uh, official spoilers from the dual deck of uh, Blessed vs. Cursed, right? Yep. And um, so, Richard, uh, why don't we talk about just a couple of them? Uh, we got a rare and a couple of other goodies. Okay, so uh, let's, let's briefly go over the notable reprints first. You got Guys of St. Traft. Gra- mm. Grave Crawler and Champion of the Parish. So th- those are your kind of big ticket items here. And with every dual deck, they give you six new cards from the upcoming set. Uh, and this time we got uh, one Mythic, one Rare, and four Uncommons. Uh, so the the guy on the cover, Mind Wrath Demon, 
two black black four five flying trample. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, put the top four cards of your library into your graveyard. And he has delirium, which is a new keyword. Uh, at the beginning of your upkeep, you lose four life unless there are four or more card types among cards in your graveyard. Yeah, I mean, this is pretty good. <laughs> I mean, that's just really an overall great card. I, I like it a lot. Um, and there, the drawback isn't really that bad. I mean, considering by turn four, you might already have a couple of those types in your graveyard already. And the card itself actually helps you get to that delirium um, Anyway, so four 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 five trying flying trample is uh, I'm on board with that. It's basically like Seder Wayfinder, right? Yeah, <laughs> R- roughly the equivalent. Uh, yeah, right. It is important to remember that we're losing fetch lands, so yes. getting the land in the graveyard is going to be a lot trickier when Mind Rack Demon is in standard than it is right now. But that said, it's still really powerful, and yes. even with the drawback, like it's a aggressively costed beater. There's obviously going to be more graveyard synergies in the set, so having the Seder Wayfinder mill the top four of your library ability is probably actually going to be beneficial. Like, it's not just going to benefit Mindrack Demon, it's going to benefit other things as well. So I think that it's going to be a playable card. Um, but I don't know. It, could this be a rare? Like, doesn't this feel rare? That like, could be a rare, yes. I mean, it is powerful, but it, it doesn't jump out at me like, wow, that is so epic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it, kind of close to Desecration Demon, no? Not really. No. <laughs> <laughs> not really. Uh, and and when we got something like this uh, in the past, when we saw, like, Pelucranos in this slot, like, I was more, like, intrigued with Pelucranos than this. So. Is Pelucranos yeah, a rare or a mythic? Mythic. Oh. It's like the exact same thing, yeah. So, yeah, you're right, Seth. I mean, this could have been rare. It's not even, like, as good as, like, Pelucranos was, so I don't know. I mean, start busting out those terramorphic expanses, I guess, you know? <laughs> uh, gonna be pretty, flying Trample at a 4-5 is pretty, like, what are you going to cast to, like, battle this thing in the air? You got you to gotta get some hard removal, and you can't trust right. it. So I, I don't know. I think it's decent. No, I, yeah, I think it's a great card. I just I don't know if it's really quantifies as mythic, but... It's like yeah. air, air Rhino, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the resources to kind of plug them, and I hope they manage to do that, and that yep. when Shadows of Innistrad comes, uh, Eldritch Moon comes, we don't have uh, this leak gate happening again. Because it's kind of overshadowing Eternal Masters. People aren't celebrating it as they should because of this controversy. And we've had this for the last couple sets now, right? With the Kozilek, uh, right. Modern Masters 2015. So it, it would be a nice change to finally have you know, a spoiler season where Wizards actually spoils all the cards as they intend, and uh, we all kind of get to enjoy the excitement without, you know, this, this stuff overshadowing the community. Very well said, Richard. Very well said. All right, so let's uh, move into fish mail, and that'll, that'll wrap up uh, our episode for this week. All right, so we have a ton, a ton of fish mail this yeah. week. Uh, someone mentioned this, but we, we, we haven't been telling people how to submit fish mail so tweet at MTG Goldfish using the hashtag oh. MTG Fishmail, or you can leave a comment in the articles, or you can send me an email, or basically if it somehow gets to one of us, we'll, we'll, we'll address it on the cast. Um, but the official way is hashtag MTG Fishmail. Uh, so here's a question from uh, Daniel. Uh, I was recently listening to Drive to Work podcast and Mark Rosewater. Uh, episode 303, he shows himself and another wizard employee answering questions about magic and telling their stories. Uh, so questions were, when was the first time you heard about magic? 
Uh, when was the first time you played? What was your first card you remembered? I would love to hear uh, some answers to these questions from the crew. Hmm. Well, um, <laughs> I actually remember how I got into MTG, uh, how I got into the game, pretty vividly, actually. So um, I was in middle school, and uh, you know I was going through middle school, and you know at cafeteria. Uh, I would always, you know, and I, I think I was in like sixth grade or something like that. Um, so I was like a freshman in middle school. And I always remember seeing a bunch of these people or, you know, older, uh, older, you know, people playing the game uh, and at, at, at cafeteria at lunchtime. And, you know, eventually I started to sit at that table, get to know, the, you know, the kids playing there. And it, it just seemed intriguing to me. And I don't know. I didn't even really know if they were playing the game correctly. I don't even think they knew. So, you know, I, I just always thought it was really intriguing. Um, I always, you know, was pretty attracted to, like, the aesthetics of the game, the art. Uh, I still am, uh, being an art major. And, you know, I, I just really liked it. And I remember buying, like, my first pack. I think it was 6th edition. It's a 6th edition pack. And I was like, all right, I'm just going to buy a couple packs, and then I'm never going to buy, you know, I'll just get the kind of urge out of the way, and I'll probably never buy it ever again. Fast forward 15 years and a bunch of packs and product later, and here we are. Uh, but yeah, I, I always just really thought it was interesting, and I always thought it was just cool in its own right that like this off-cast like group of people were playing in like the corner table of lunchtime. You know, I always thought it was just cool, and it was not mainstream. And you know, now it is mainstream. But you know, I guess I was a sixth uh, sixth grader hipster <laughs> at that point. So yeah, that's how I got into the game, and and yeah, just never kicked the addiction. Well, for me, I I think my story is different than both of yours. I've told it before, I think, but I didn't start playing when I was a kid. I did. Uh, it wasn't until like Ravnica era that I had a roommate who we'd been good friends for a long time, moved in together. Uh, I, what I didn't know is that he was a magic player. He had left all his cards at his mom's house, and then one day he went to his mom's house for something and came back and had all these magic cards. And at the time, I was playing in bands and was kind of like doing this hipster music guy thing, and he thought that I would think magic cards were nerdy, so he never asked me to play. And I thought that... I didn't know what magic was, so I just kind of watched him play with some other people, and finally, like, I don't know, six months or nine months later, I finally, the game looked really cool, and I finally asked him if I could play, and he taught me how to play, and I have just been full force into magic ever since. So that's how I first started, and as far as the first card, I think for me it's Eon Storm. Uh, I don't know if that's literally the first card I ever saw, but I know the first deck I built was an Eon Storm deck built around, like, putting charge counters on things and then removing them to deal damage. So it's kind of ironic because it was basically like an against odds deck. I didn't know it at the time and had no idea that <laughs> 10 years later I would be making against odds videos, but it was essentially like the same type of janky, crazy combo that I wanted to see if I could make it work. So I guess that's just who I've always been as a magic player. Yeah. I remember the first card that, yeah, to answer the second question that impressed me was avatar of might. I always just saw like a giant green, a green was my favorite color. A giant 8-8 eight eight with trample was just like the coolest thing I've ever seen. So there you have it. No other no other explanation than that. All right, move aside, children. Let me let, <laughs> let me date myself with the story of the old times. <laughs> so so it's really different because I grew up in the 80s and 90s, and 
cards, like trading cards, were a big thing back then. So, like, uh, you guys probably don't know about these things, but, like, Garbage Pail Kids, like, uh, Ultra Pro Hockey Cards, like, Baseball Cards, things like that were huge. And uh, a kid, for some reason, I was already in, like, card finance, right? We would buy Marvel cards, so, like, Spider-Man, X-Men, and stuff like that. And we would sell them in the schoolyard and trade with ourselves <laughs> with our lunch money. Uh, so that was weird. So there, there was a set like Marvel, Marvel Metal or something, which is like basically foil cards. And we were wheeling and dealing as kids, like selling cards for like two bucks and buying other cards. Uh, and for some reason, this was allowed on school. And uh, eventually Marvel came out with a card game called Marvel Overpower which is like kind of like a tradable collectible card game. So everyone played that because that was our natural transition from Marvel cards. And that's kind of where everyone started playing uh, card games. And one day someone brought in a Magic the Gathering deck and we kind of transitioned over there. And then uh, now everyone plays Magic. But so that's how that kind of happened for me. Uh, the first card I ever remembered was Wanderlust. I don't know if you guys know what this card does. It's a three mana green enchantment that your creature deals one damage to you on your upkeep. So you can play it on your opponent's creature, and it pings you for one damage every turn. <laughs> and the reason I remember this card is whoever taught me to play Magic, we had two, like, fourth edition starters. He had the Wanderlust, he put it on my creature, and then I stole his card because I forgot to give it back at the end of the game. <laughs> so I had his Wanderlust. And I'm like, oh, well, I should give this back. And that was the first time I accidentally stole a card because it was on my side of the battlefield as well. Very good. Yeah, there's a lot of them, so let's just try to yep. keep it going. Uh, let me find the next question. Christian. Uh, Christian. I was curious about Magic Online. The pre-releases, normal set seasons, uh, what is the best time to buy and sell boosters, uh, if that is a regular trending thing, and when's the best time for selling rares and mythics? So, Seth, do you want to cover this one? This is all you, Seth. Oh, all right. Um... Pre-releases, let me try to take this a little bit in order. During pre-releases uh, is usually the peak price of all the cards, just like in uh, like pre-sale period and standard. So that's usually when, as a whole, the set will be worth the most. Of course, some cards will be undervalued at first and will increase uh, during their life in standard. But in general, pre-release is the peak. Then prices drop much quicker on Magic Online than they do in the real world. So within like a month or two after the the pre-release events end, those cards will be down right near their floor. Like, a lot of stuff will be down to complete bulk as far as rares. A lot of mythics will also be, like, under a ticket. And then there'll be a few cards that are near the, the top of the pack uh, in every set, mostly mythics, uh, usually, that can be... 8, 10, 20, in the case of something like Jace, which is a rare scenario, 70, 80 uh, tickets. As far as the best time to do things, booster prices, there are some weird little windows where you can profit off of buying and selling windows. For example, during pre-release, pre um, they pay out booster packs during the first three days of pre-release events when you win an event, but you can't use those boosters to enter events until the following Monday when release event starts. So the prices of boosters usually drop during that period and then rise again uh, the following week when people can actually start putting those boosters to use. So there's a few windows like that, but overall, uh, the prices have been fairly consistent Why the set is still legal and standard since they changed to the playpoint system. So most of the time, boosters are going to be somewhere between like 3.3 ticks and 4 ticks while they're legal and standard. 
And as far as rares and mythics, if you open stuff for, during pre-release events, it's almost always correct to sell them as soon as possible, like as soon as you're done with the event to get the most money because prices drop so fast. Otherwise, it's like paper. Like what's performing well in standard is going to go up. Uh, stuff that isn't performing is going to go down. So you just want to stay on top of the deck lists and the trends as much as you can and try to, uh, to sell when a deck is peaking and really performing well on like the SCG circuit or on Magic Online. All right. Hopefully well, I well done. All. Well done, Seth. Uh, this is from Jay Hogue, a uh, regular contributor. Uh, he's in the Navy, so thank you. Uh, his question is, uh, I've been recently grinding PPTQs and SEG events like regionals. Uh, the main reason I'm writing is I recently attended a GPT, and it didn't seem to be the same as regionals or PPTQs I've attended in the past. With so many tournament types out there, GPTs, PPTQs, SEG events, TCG player events, which are actually worth going to or focusing on? How do you qualify for some of the bigger ones? Uh, although a GPT is much more competitive, I don't feel like driving over an hour is worth it to get a buy at a GP. Uh, maybe I'm ill-informed on this. Please shed some light on these tournament types. Uh, so basically, Jay is trying to get more competitive in Magic, and he's confused with all these events and which ones he should attend. So have any of you guys forayed into the well, actual grind and have well, any advice here? Well, I mean, since I was really, uh, I mean, a while back when I was kind of doing something like this, uh, they've, they've really changed the way they've done things. But, I mean, I, I get what he's saying uh, about, you know, driving an hour and a half just for a buy at a GP. But... Uh, yeah, I I'd say I would say that's just how it how it goes. I mean, I would do what you're doing, go to the PPPT, PPTQs, the GPTs, and then, or if it's too far and you really don't, you rather just take a GP head on. I mean, I think you just do that, and then you if you want to go the other circuit where you go into a PPTQ, into a PTQ, and then you get um, you know qualify for the Pro Tour. I mean, just I think he's on the right track. Uh, it's just unfortunate that some in some areas, you know, some of these uh, events are just really out of the way. I uh, I've never really been on the grind in the paper world, so to speak. But one thing I just wanted to add quickly, and I think you're right, Chaz, is I would focus on one type of event as much as possible right. uh, because like TCG player points don't transfer to SCG points, and though and neither of those events are gonna are that good at qualifying you for a pro tour. So try to figure out like what your goal is and what type of points you're trying to earn, and then stay as consistent. Like you can still get practice just jumping around from event to event, but I wouldn't want to be going to an SCG event one weekend, then TCG the next, and SCG the, the next, because you're going to minimize your opportunity to make it to, uh, to get points and make it to the championships at the end of the year, and all the events that have really big payoffs. These events, I actually used to try to play, like, seriously, and uh, it, it's, a, it's called a grind for a reason. You need to play a ton of magic, and you need to be willing to travel far distances. Uh, yeah. Getting 2-0, I, I forgot what it's now, now you can get a maximum of two or three buys at a GP. But starting at 2-0 or 3-0 is a huge, 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 huge advantage at a Grand Prix. It's much easier to go 4-2, 5-2 day one than going 7-2. Uh, and with the GPTs, you can screw up, right? Like, you can go to GPT, scrub out. Next week, go to another GPT, win it, and actually get your buys. Whereas at a GP, as soon as you scrub out the first two rounds, your GP weekend is over, right? So it's very uh, advantageous, which is why the pros have their platinum clubs and whatnot, right? Like being automatically queued for these events, uh, getting number of buys is a huge advantage. Uh, so if you're actually very serious about this, then uh, you need to be 
uh, getting your buys for GP so that you can push into day two and uh, place well. Um, yeah. But is it worth it? I have no idea, right? It, it takes a lot of time, right? Like, just forget driving, right? You're going to play eight hours of Magic, right? Like, that one hour yeah. drive is like nothing, right? You're going to sit there, starve, and play like eight hours of Magic. So it's just a lot of time. So if you think it's worth it, uh, then you can try it. But Yeah, this is not something, like, you do on the side. Like, this is something you have to, like, really devote to. Yeah. Uh, so moving on, uh, this is a question from Joseph about fixing modern hashtag fix modern. Uh, so, uh, after reading your article about how modern decks have a two year lifespan, uh, so this is Seth's article about the modern dilemma. Uh, I want to change how modern is managed. I don't know how I believe it needs to be more stable and sustainable for players to invest in. Uh, so how do we do anything about this? I heard wizard doesn't respond uh, does respond to community when there is an outcry, so how can I start one? So this is more of the how do we get wizards to listen to us and actually make a change uh, in reference to modern? Oh, man. Uh, I, I, this is definitely like a full cast worth of discussion, but I mean, in terms of... It, wizards does listen to the community. I think you just saw that with Twin getting banned. Uh, uh, to some extent, people have been talking about Twin for a long time. Um, they obviously did it to shake up the pro tour because people want to see, you know, things happen at the pro tour when it, ha- when it comes to that. But I, I don't, I, I guess, you know, just, you know, get your opinion out there and, you know, if other people agree with you, if enough people agree with you, people, you know, get on the bandwagon. But I mean, there are people that have said things for quite some time and there's dialogue that's been said for quite some time and nothing ever really is done about it. So there is that aspect, but uh, I don't know. When it comes to modern, I think it's pretty well handled considering the format's only been in existence for, like, what, four years? Something like that. So I think we have a while to go, uh, you know, a while to go to where we're at some sort of, like, harmonious state with modern. So I would say sit tight, be patient, and, uh, you know, in terms of modern being regulated, I think it's done fairly well. Um, yeah, I... I don't know about starting an outcry. I don't have any good piece of advice, advice as how to tell you how to uh, get your voice heard by wizards other than what Chaz said. There's no, like, secret formula to doing that. Uh, if enough people agree with you and people are talking about it on social media, Reddit, places like that, uh, then wizards tends to respond and take notice to that. I know wizards employees definitely are on Twitter all the time. They also do frequent the... MTG subreddit. Uh, So if you're looking to have your comments heard, those places can reach people in a position of power. As far as modern, I think that the the simplest solution, uh, whether or not it's the right solution, is to have a more light-handed approach to the ban list. I think that that's part of the reason there's so much upheaval, is that um, how the format is managed through the ban list and how bans happen so regularly So for me, I think that's a big thing. I'm not saying that things should never get banned, but I think that the more we can minimize bannings and even perhaps a bigger thing is the more wizards can print cards that answer problems instead of needing to ban cards, uh, the more stable the format will be. Like that's how it works in Legacy. If there's a problem, usually because the card pool is so big, either there's already a card existing that will answer the problem or wizards can print something like Containment Priest that will answer certain decks. Uh, We don't have that option in Modern, so I think having a way to put new cards in the format to answer problems as opposed to banning them would go a long way towards creating stability. 
Yeah, just to add to that, uh, when you make your outcry, which is basically just post to social media, uh, present an actual coherent argument, present data, facts that wizards can use to uh, inform their view. Uh, they, they've shown that they listen to feedback. Uh, you know, when there was the outcry with the modern pro tour being axed, they brought it back. So Wizards is out there reading and listening to us. Uh, we just need to make sure if we have ideas, we express them uh, in a constructive manner, uh, in a way that is most easy to understand, and you know, there's actual research and data to back it up, and that will help Wizards make their decision a lot better. Uh, so that's that's my advice there. Don't just complain, but actually have solutions or suggestions, and you know, have stuff to back that up. Uh, next question is from Evan. Uh, starting at the end of December, Eldrazi decks started picking up momentum, and we saw uh, spikes in Heartless Summoning, Orberg, uh, Relic of Progenitus, and the Pro Tour has shown us a new way of building Eldrazi for Modern. Uh, if the first version of the deck falls out of favor, would you expect those cards to fall back down to the original pricing or something higher than prior? So instead of the previous $1, uh, maybe hold $3 and just stay up 150% instead. Yeah, I think it would be hard. It, it, usually when cards like this uh, go up, uh, you know, exceeding percentages, they never really go back down to their original prices. It takes quite a bit of time if they definitely see no play. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it would. They would have to. Yeah, they would have to see like no play. Um, if they decide to ban, you know, one of the cards, maybe people go back to the original versions of the deck where it's more of like a ramp up to giant cards, and they still play Heartless Summoning or stuff like that. I don't know what they're going to ultimately end up doing. Uh, yeah, I don't know what they're ultimately going to end up do. But yeah, I would have to say the the better version that we saw in Modern at the Pro Tour will likely not be around for too much longer um, because it is just everywhere. Yeah, I mean, I agree with what Chaz said, and it, I think it is very unlikely the prices go back to where they were before. Even if the deck falls out of favor, that's at least for a very long time. That's just typically not how price spikes work with uh, Magic cards. So I think that what you're on the right track, that they'll go down, but they won't go all the way back down to uh, where they were before. All right. Uh, next one from Cole. Uh, on the last cast, it was mentioned that Wizards might have found the secret sauce by printing broken cards to make modern pro tour exciting and to push the new sets. Uh, considering that a batting is likely in the future of a Jazzy list, isn't this bad for Wizards to follow? Uh, what incentive do players have to buy into the new cards if we have to fear a banning every four to six months? <laughs> well, I don't think we have to fear banning every four to six months. Um, I think Modern is a work in progress, much like Legacy was at one point, where you did see more of like Wizards forcing their hand at you know molding the, the format. Uh, I think after we kind of move along and maybe you know, more time passes. I mean, we were at a pretty good point. And uh, I think maybe they just, I don't know how, I guess it was just a huge oversight that, you know, this, these Eldrazi decks are all over uh, with these with these cards. But I think if you eliminate that, I think the format would be pretty harmonious. You know, maybe you add Twin back at some point or something like that. But uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I think Modern is definitely not like, you can't invest without a fear of banning. I mean, I think they're going to get to a point where they're pretty happy where the format is and, you know, people can play a deck for longer. Because, I mean, even before this, I mean, it, it was a pretty long time in between bannings. And, uh, you know, decks have survived uh, from the beginning of when Modern was in, you know, first in its inception. 
So, um, I think the secret sauce is to just get rid of the modern pro tour altogether. But <laughs> I think that's the real secret sauce. I think that that comment is true. Like Wizards did find the way to make the pro tour exciting and make people care about it, and probably use modern pro tour, a modern pro tour, to sell cards from the newest set. So in that sense, it is true, but I don't think that's a long-term like plan that you can. That's not viable. You can't just keep uh, printing the most powerful deck in modern every year and trusting that that's the way to make an exciting pro tour. Like that's that's the power creep issue that Wizards is actually really good at reining in. Like that's one of the most amazing thing about Magic is how well they have. Uh, been able to keep the game new and fresh over 25 years without power creep getting out of control like it has in some other games. Uh, I'm kind of on the secret sauce train here. <laughs> I, I think if you look at other video games, this is how they kind of do it. Like if you look at, uh, say, League of Legends, uh, you know, when they introduce a new champion, they're always like overpowered. And the reason is so that everyone jumps on board and plays this new character. And then what they do is over the next couple of patches, tone it down. And to hopefully such that they're a balanced character. Sometimes they go overboard and it's still, uh, it's, it's underpowered and no one plays it. But a lot of games follow this model. Like, just make something OP for a specific period of time. Everyone will play it, get hype, and then they'll tone it back down. And that could happen. Uh, if there's a way to ban the Eldrazi deck such that it doesn't become irrelevant, uh, maybe it's not the best deck anymore, but maybe it's just, you know, another tier 1, tier 1.5 deck. Uh, so if you can consistently do that and then you know get get a new uh theme going uh to only affect modern and then tone it down a bit uh i could see that wizards would do that um they're gonna ban something every year anyway so might as well do this um whether they can actually pull this off or not seems a bit you know questionable it might be too hard to do but i could see something like that happening it's not too far-fetched in my opinion uh moving on uh we have a question from martin uh, what will happen to the price of hard-to-come-by versions of cards that are reprinted in Eternal Masters? So, Judge, Force of Will, Judge, Rashad, and Port. Uh, starter cards like Grim Tutor, Goblin Settler. Um, well, we already covered that a little bit, but I don't think, like, the Judge cards, their prices probably won't budge at all. Uh, stuff like, you know, Grim Tutor, Goblin Settler, stuff like that, uh, I, I'm assuming those prices will come down considerably. But, you know, hard to come by stuff like Judge promos uh, specifically, I, I doubt will uh, go down in price very much, if at all. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think that Portal, Starter, those type of cards will definitely get crushed because that's just what has always happened whenever they've been reprinted in something. So because the supply is so low to begin with, uh, the new supply just is so much for them to handle. And there's not any real demand for those cards, a lot, most of them, because they're just not really played outside of cubes and maybe EDH if you can afford it. But I wouldn't worry about Judge promos and those type of cards. I actually think Judge Force of Will will go down. Uh, because right now that's the only foil printing of Force of Will, and the art is terrible. Like it, it's not as classic yeah, as the original. Yeah, the, the, the new enough. the new art is awesome and a throwback to the original art. So I think a lot of people would choose the new uh, the new foil mythic Force of Will, and that will alleviate some of the demand of the uh, Judge promo. Yeah, especially people like their Therese Nielsen man. Yep. <laughs> 
Uh, okay, we're, we're in the final stretch, guys. We're, we're on to Twitter questions. Yeah. <laughs> How long until Wizards creates ultra-modern format? You <laughs> do border cards. <laughs> so... We pretty much talked about that. Well, th- this is a cutoff that's earlier, right? So th- this would be something like they cut it off at, like, 10th edition or something. Do you think that will happen? Uh, no. Uh, I guess it's possible that it could happen yeah. 10 years from now or something. Uh, yeah. I don't that, think that it's going to happen. Yeah. All right. Uh, from uh, oh, that was from at fizzled. Uh, this is from at Theo Crisis. What do you think will replace clash packs and event decks, if anything? Probably nothing. Um, maybe like yeah, we get something like the Eternal Masters. No, like they just finish off the year with a, a set like this or something. Well, I, clash I don't know if they're going to decks come with set releases, right? Right. But typically, so I don't do release like Fate Reforged or something, and right. added a clash pack as yeah, the supplemental. Yeah, I, I don't think they're going to replace it with anything. Yeah, I, I think they have to replace it because yeah, right it's, now it's you can't play anything the out of the box, right? right? Like the only thing you can play out of the box is an intro pack, oh. right? And those decks are like horrendous, oh. Oh. right? So they, they need to have something that a player can like walk into a store, come out with a deck and like have something like... Uh, unless they just make those straight up better. They could. They could beef up the intro packs. They could just do that. I think they should do that. But... If it was me, I would have got rid of the intro packs. I don't know who buys those. Yeah, <laughs> but the clash packs and event decks, like people actually, buy, I, I enjoy right. playing them. Like those are right. actual like real products in my mind. So hey, I mean, a few years back, that's the only way you could play Stoneforge Mystic, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Uh, here's a question uh, from uh, Random Keho. So Kim Ho always uh, asking us the question. Um, if a GP was four hours away, would you oh. rather sell locally or to the vendors at the GP? By the way, both of the Gatewatch cards. Oh, man. Um, I mean, how much more value are you going to extract there? I mean, if it's it, – you tend – you know, vendors do tend to give you a little extra at a GP, but eight hours, you, you know, you, can, you figure four hours there, four hours back. I don't know if it's really worth it. If you were going to go to the GP anyways, definitely go to the right. GP. But I wouldn't want to spend my entire weekend – uh, making an eight-hour trip to make a right. tiny bit more money. Right. I mean, if you had, like, massive amounts of product to move there, I could understand. But if it's just, like, some a couple like a couple long boxes or something like that, I wouldn't do it. All so right. I guess not enough information overall. If you have a ton of stuff or we're right. going anyway, go to the GP. Otherwise, just sell to a buy list. Right, right. Well, I mean, just calculate how much eight hours of your time and gas is worth, and does that yeah. offset the amount of difference you're going to get from the vendors? Right. Uh, from at Bisonjerk, do you think Merfolk or Restore Balance have a chance at fighting Eldrazi? Maybe no. keep them off their power lands. Uh, no. The answer is no, because we 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 have results. Yeah, <laughs> Eldrazi are absolutely dominating modern uh, on Magic Online. Yes. Um, at Squilliam Fancies, I've been trying to make Magic Online videos. I don't know how to start. Any tips for newbie uh, slash programs to use? Um, yes, obviously the big one is OBS, yes. uh, open broadcast system. There's a couple options you can use for recording, but OBS is by far the easiest to use, by yes. far the most user-friendly, uh, just everything about it, that's what you want. So yep. other than that, you get OBS. Uh, there's actually a really good tutorial that just went up on the mothership with Gabby Sparks, tar- or Sparks yep. talking about how to start streaming. So I would check that out um, because it shows how to set up OBS 
And other than that, you're just good to go. Once you download OBS, you have a headset plugged into your computer, uh, do the basic setting stuff that you can get in that tutorial video, you, you just hit record and you're making a video. So Right. And then uh, obviously for video editing stuff, there's stuff like uh, Premiere and, you know, what have you. Yeah, I use Lightworks for my editing, but Lightworks, there's other yeah. options out there, yeah. Um, uh, After Effects, yeah, just there's a bunch of stuff. Well, there you have it. I think we answered like ten plus fish meal today. <laughs> <laughs> we we might. It's getting to a point where we need like a, a separate podcast for fish mail. Uh, thank you everyone for sending those in. Those were some really good questions, and uh, I think that wraps up the cast. Um, any last minute out the door things? Mm-hmm. I think that pretty much covers it. Yeah, I think we covered everything, uh, gentlemen. Thanks for bearing with me. This was a great cast. Uh, yeah, it's, it's been awesome. Uh, we will do this again very soon. So thanks, for everyone, for tuning in. We will see you next time. This is the MTG Goldfish crew signing out.